Welcome to episode number four on the My Story podcast. The My Story podcast features interviews with leaders, influencers, and entrepreneurs who tell us their story and the life lessons they've learned along the way. Hi, my name is Conrad Weaver, and I'm your host for the show. I'm a filmmaker, entrepreneur, storyteller, and sometimes I like to go sailing. Well, actually, I always like to go sailing. But today, I'm really happy that you've stopped by to listen to the show. But first, a word from our sponsor. Conjo Studios is an award-winning video production company whose focus is helping you tell your story. They love telling stories that matter. So if you have a corporate message or even a documentary you want to produce, Conjo Studios has the experience and the knowledge to get the job done on time and within your budget. Visit conjostudios.com, click on the blue Get a Quote button, and let them know what you need. Then watch your stress melt away as their team does the magic of producing your next video or film project. That's Conjo Studios, telling stories that matter. Today on the show, I have Tom Schultz. Tom is the president and founder of Group Publishing and Life Tree Cafe. He's the author of many books, including Why Nobody Wants to Go to Church Anymore. And he's also the director of a documentary film called When God Left the Building. And he's a founder of Group Serves, which organizes volunteer mission experiences to help disadvantaged families throughout the world. Tom's a world traveler and a friend. And it's great to have you on the show today, Tom. It's great to be with you. Thanks. So where was your last adventure? <laughs> well, we just got back a couple of weeks ago from India. We have uh, nice. an office over there and visited uh, that office and helped with a product launch there. And then uh, we went to uh, kind of the back country of India to visit some uh, back country tribes. It was quite the experience. Wow. I bet that's amazing to see. And, and you've been to several places like that where you go into the back country. And- yeah. That's got to be challenging to see kind of their living conditions and their life experience. Yeah, that's eye-opening. A lot of those uh, cultures are rapidly disappearing, and I kind of have the philosophy of if uh, we're going to see them, we've got to see them now to uh, be able to see their way of life before it disappears. Right, right. And and some of those places, even some of the the, the landscapes that they're living in are, are changing and disappearing, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So you're in the publishing business. How in the world did you get started in the publishing business? <laughs> well, I was uh, actually uh, in journalism. That uh, That's my uh, educational background and uh, professional background. And during that time, I was also involved in uh, leading a youth ministry at my church and saw that uh, back then, this is in the uh, 70s, there was very little being offered in the way of resources for youth ministry. So I decided, well, if nobody else will jump in, I'll jump in and see if I can provide a resource to help people in that field. So uh, that's how we got started in 1974 with one magazine called Group Magazine for people involved in youth groups. Wow. So you just started writing this thing yourself or did you get other people to write for you? How did that work? A couple of friends and I, we we really bootstrapped it and uh, put it together all on our own. I started really with... uh, just five hundred dollars. That's that's wow. all I had, and uh, that that paid the first printing bill for our little magazine. And uh, we had just the volunteer efforts of uh, my friends and myself to put this thing together. Well, how did you get people to buy it? 
Well, we put the word out through uh, advertising in uh, some a couple of other magazines and uh, tinkered around with direct mail. But I have to admit that uh, back then uh, I was pretty much fresh out of college and didn't know much about marketing or especially direct mail. And I had no idea what I was doing, but uh, jumped in and tried it, made a lot of mistakes uh, mm-hmm. and uh, in fact had some uh, early results that as I look back on it now, they were pretty spectacular, but I didn't know it. And mm-hmm. I, I thought it was a failure, in fact. Wow. But, uh, we continued on and step-by-step, uh, step, block by block, it grew. Wow. And so over the course of the year, you know, I mean, years you went from just yourself and maybe some friends to a pretty good-sized company. Yeah. Yeah, we now have a, a staff of uh, almost 200 here who uh, are working in all different uh, endeavors and disciplines and not only publishing, but uh, events and conferences and video and music and uh, lots of different things that we're involved in. You know, I had the privilege of working at Group Publishing for just a couple of short years, and it's really, I have to say that I really enjoyed my time there, and I learned a lot. I've learned a lot about, I remember the first time I wrote an article for uh, Rick Lawrence, the, uh, the the editor of Group Magazine. I'm assuming he's still there? He is, yeah. So I remember writing an article for him, and I got it back on my desk, and it was just full of red ink. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was like I had to learn to learn how to write. Yeah. And it was just a really amazing experience for me, and, and I'm still learning how to write. Uh, but I'm, I'll never forget that first experience of uh, that feedback I got, and it was so important and valuable for me even now. Yeah. And that, uh, that spirit uh, continues here uh, of uh, working with one another and checking each other's work. And I think that's one of the secrets to uh, at least our success is uh, being open to that uh, uh, ability and, and acceptance of uh, working with others and having others critique and help to, to sharpen us. That's, uh, that's a real uh, path, I think, to not only success, but uh, to one of our core values here, and that's humility. You know, and I think that is so important, even, you know, as a filmmaker myself, uh, and, and I have clients that I produce short uh, marketing films or commercials for, and I I'll always tell my clients, you know, please tell me what you like, tell me what you hate, you know, when you're looking, yeah. so that I can improve the product. Yeah. And I think that is such a an important thing to have that uh, that humility, like you said, to be able to say, hey, it stinks and <laughs> I can make it better. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting you say that. We just got back from a film festival the other day and uh, sat through a couple of films that were, uh, well, I'll just say kind of excruciating and people <laughs> were walking out in the middle of them. And wow. I turned to my wife at... Uh, at the end and said that couldn't have been audience tested uh, because hmm. if if they had just taken it to a test audience, they would have found that people would have said, hey, I don't get it. I don't, I'm not following this. It's not making any sense. And it's, uh, it's really underlining uh, what you just said is that we need to be open to the critique of other people, especially people in our core audience, to allow them to uh, let us know if we're on the right track or not. 
Wow. So do you guys do that with the books and publishings, the, the, the publications that you put out? We do it with virtually everything. I mean, we're always out uh, talking to the market, talking to the audience and uh, getting their feedback and, and listening. I think it's, uh, you know, people will often ask, well, what uh, one of the keys to your success there at group? And it's one of the first things that I'll always mention is that uh, we listen. We really go out and listen to people. Uh, and, and to solicit their feedback uh, because they're the experts and uh, mm. we're simply serving them. And if we're not listening to them, uh, we can't serve them. Wow. Is that a value you set on you know, early on as you started the company? Yeah. And I think the, the early success that we had with the company was uh, based not only in that listening, but uh, we were uh, practitioners ourselves. So it was a matter mm. of uh, really knowing intimately what uh, what people want and need because uh, we were one of them. And as we've gone along and we've gotten larger, we've had to become more disciplined about uh, reaching out to other people so that we make sure that we, don't, we aren't uh, creating an ivory tower here that uh, mm-hmm. we're insulated from, uh, from the real people out there. So it, it, it takes discipline and uh, as an organization grows, I think it just becomes more important to get out and, and listen to real people and what their needs and wants are. Hmm. How important is it for an organization, for any organization, to really set those values early on? It, it's crucial. And, you know, it's, it's um, something that is less aspirational, I think, and more reflective. Sometimes people will set uh, values that they want to grow into, that they want to attain. And that's fine. That's that's good. Uh, but I can tell you that our core values here have stood the test of time for us because uh, at a certain point, we stood back and, and asked, well, who are we? What do we believe in? And who are we already? Not necessarily what we aspire to, but uh, what are our heart values already? And we wrestled with that and put those down on paper and uh, said, well, this is, this is who we really are. This is what we really believe in. And we simply want to continue to build on these core values. They're not something that uh, we look on the outside and say, hey, I'd like to be that. It's, it's a who are we at the core to begin with? And then let's, let's make that even better. Did you bring your customers into that conversation or was that something internal? Uh, well, that particular conversation was uh, establishing our core values was uh, was done internally. But I have to tell you, it was uh, a reflection also of uh, how we had already been interacting with uh, our customers and, and our market. So it uh, it was a reflection of ourselves, who we are in relationship with our customers. So what would you do differently if you had a do-over from Mm. the beginning? Uh, Personally, I would have uh, learned and sought out education on uh, the business side of things that uh, I didn't have coming in. My my business Mm. knowledge uh, really came from growing up in a household of entrepreneurs and, and family business. So I, I, I picked that up, and that, that's very valuable. 
but uh, uh, looking back now, I wish I would have gotten more uh, formal education on that side. My educational background was in journalism, and that served me well. Uh, but as I got into a business that combined journalism and business, uh, I, I often look back and wish that I had studied more on the business side of things. It would have uh, leapfrogged me ahead, I think. You know, I think that's so important because that's the challenge that I've had. I mean, I'm, I'm a creative guy and I've kind of, you know, been that way for all my life, but I never had a strong business background. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's something that I wish out of, you know, years ago, maybe going to gotten my MBA or taking some mm -hmm. courses on business. Mm -hmm. I think it would really have helped me yeah. along yeah. the way. Uh, so what what does failure play into shaping who you are as a company or as a business you know it's it's so important and you know we sometimes will say around here that uh, we learn more from our failures than we do from our successes and i look at failure as uh, tuition it, uh, mm -hmm. it's something that uh, we pay for in the failure but if we look at it in the light of, of education and growth, we can learn so much more, actually, from our failures than we can even from our successes. You know, we used to do something around here that uh, we called top flops, and we actually gave a little recognition every month to the biggest flop of the month. And we did that to underline this idea that uh, we can learn a lot from our failures. It's one thing to fail and not learn anything from it and, and repeat the failure. That, that's not what we're after. What, we, what we're after is to try some things, try a lot of things and know that uh, maybe most of them will fail. But if we go into it with the idea that uh, we've got something to learn from this, even if we do fail, then uh, that failure can become really instructive and helpful for us in, in making our next success. Hmm. Do you think we as a society in general really work hard to avoid failure? I think uh, for a lot of us, we get uh, gun shy about it. We've been hurt in the past and we don't want to go there again. So we have the natural human reaction to saying, well, I don't, I don't want to try because it was so painful the last time. So I'm just not going to try. I can't stand the pain of failure. And that's unfortunate because that, uh, that keeps us from uh, that next new leap that might be the one success that comes out of 10 failures. Uh, but if we're too afraid to try because we're fearing failure, uh, then we're not open to uh, that uh, success that's lurking around the corner. Hmm. What's a success story that you've had where you had, you were on, on, on the, on the edge of, of a new thing and you wanted to try something, but you, thought maybe it wasn't going to work, but it actually did. We've had so many successes and, and I'd also say more failures and people sometimes aren't aware of all of those failures that we have. But we've we've tried uh, many different things in the, in the publishing world and, and in the uh, information sharing world and so on that have been, uh, th that have not worked out, but we've learned so much from them. But uh, we've also hit on those things that, that do uh, work. We have um, a uh, learning philosophy here that we call REAL. It's an acronym, 
R E A L. R is relational, E is experiential, A is applicable, and L is learner based. And uh, that approach really permeates much of what we do. And uh, we introduce that uh, philosophy, I think, from the very get go, but we articulated it in a couple of books that. Uh, uh, Joni, my wife and I wrote that uh, really helped our market to understand uh, this approach to learning and growth. And um, one of those books uh, early on was called "Why Nobody Learns Much of Anything at Church and How to Fix It." And we we went after the whole mentality of uh, the old academic approach to learning and uh, talked about some other new ways that. That could work, and when we when we first introduced that, even the title <laughs> internally, your people were scared to death of the title of that church of, of that book because it sounded so negative. Why nobody learns much of anything at church, and uh, we persevered through that and said, "Well, yeah, we understand that's going to make some people upset. Some people are going to be mad, uh, but we feel that uh, we need to send an alarm bell to wake people up to what's happening around us." So in, in for some people, that was a, a failure. It, it was rejected. But uh, the long-term results of that have been uh, very good for us and I think very good for our audience to help understand what was happening around us and to uh, learn how to find a better way. You know, it's interesting you're talking about real. I'm sitting here at my desk and I have this little wire guy that is called Earl. <laughs> Sitting, (laughs) and it was. I think it was a a piece of marketing that you guys developed to uh, to help promote the real learning. And uh, so I have it on my desk. It's a constant reminder of my time at Group. That's great. In the publishing world, things have changed slightly over the years, from print to digital, and I think in some ways back to print. How did that impact what you guys do? Yeah, it's been a huge impact for us. We're, uh, we started out as a, a paper and ink company, and uh, we still do a lot in paper and ink. But obviously, digital has had a big impact on us as well, as well as on our way of distributing. Hmm, sure. Uh, not only has, has our market turned to uh, digital means for consumption of the information that they need and want, but... Uh, how they get the information obviously has changed as well. So, for instance, uh, in our past, uh, brick-and-mortar bookstores were uh, a huge part of our distribution strategy for getting our ideas and information out. That's been under siege, obviously, in in the past 10, 20 years and continues to change Mm -hmm. radically. And so we've had to not only change how we produce things and what format we produce things uh, and shape them for our end users, but we've also had to cope with how we distribute those things, how we get those things to them. You know, I hear a couple of years ago, a major bookstore in downtown Washington, D.C. shut its doors and it had been around for decades. And it was just one of those things that, okay, is this a sign of the times that just people aren't going to bookstores anymore. I mean, cause Amazon is so mm-hmm. prolific that mm-hmm. 
you know, you can order it today and some places you can have it in the afternoon. (laughs) And so has that changed? Has the, the failure, I guess, of bookstores changed your, your distribution? Absolutely. And uh, it it continues to, uh, we, we certainly have not abandoned brick and mortar stores and we continue to look for ways to support them and help them uh, along. But uh, we've at the same time had to understand the new distribution models that have come along and work with those as well. Just take the the big gorilla in the room, Amazon, Mm -hmm. and uh, understanding how Amazon works, that is a continuous uh, project for us to understand uh, how that machine works and it's always changing. So we're always having to adapt and change to how Amazon works to understand how they're getting to their customers and and how we can come alongside and and work with their systems. Mm -hmm. So in, in the business world and as in life, how, how important is it to be flexible to adapt to the environment that you're in? It's crucially important. In fact, um, I think of uh, an example that we featured in one of our films called When God Left the Building. And throughout that film, we use the metaphor of the Eastman Kodak Company. And uh, that mm-hmm. that's a fascinating business story to see how Kodak rose and became uh, just the predominant giant in that uh, photography industry that they were involved in. And then to see it almost all disappear and relatively quickly. So we look at that story in that film, When God Left the Building, to analyze uh, what happened there. How did they lose it? How did they lose it so quickly? And how can we apply those lessons to our lives? We we compared it to what's happening in the church. And uh, the Kodak story is also a great story to compare to anybody in any business or, or organization to understand how we can lose focus and and lose our very foundation that, that can lead to collapse if we're not careful. So in, in as you adapt and as you change, and as you see what's going on, how far ahead do you look to predict what's going to be next? Yeah, that's gotten shorter and shorter over the, over the years. In fact, uh, you know, Early on, we would do things like five-year business plans and 10-year business plans to project out and try to lay out a plan and strategy looking forward. Uh, We don't do that anymore because uh, things are changing so quickly that uh, it's it's almost folly to look out uh, that far. So uh, we're we're much closer in to take a look at at, uh, what the future might hold, and we're looking out one, two, and three years now. Uh, to uh, prepare for what's to come. Beyond that, uh, it's because things are changing so quickly and so surprisingly, it's difficult to plan uh, much farther out. So we're trying to be much more nimble and adapt more quickly. And what that means, whereas in the in the past, we might have laid out a plan and said, well, this is going to be a, a multi-year plan and we'll take these steps to, uh, to reach it. Uh, we're more we're more likely today to jump in and actually try some things rather than strategizing uh, something that we might say is 
going to come to fruition in five years, we're much more likely today to, let's just jump in and try it in a small way to see if it will work. And uh, that becomes then uh, the new strategy to uh, uh, use that uh, test and trial uh, method as opposed to some intricate, carefully worked out plan that may be obsolete by the time we get to releasing it. So how does that relate to a young person getting out of college or even going to college and put kind of mapping out the future for them? What what should young people be thinking about when they're looking at a you know, possible career? Yeah. Uh, I think it I think it applies directly to that of getting out and trying some things uh, rather than than worrying about laying out some grand plan that uh, probably isn't going to work out the way you envision. Uh, try some things, see some things that are of interest, and try them in a in a small test way. Uh, that, and that's that's not uh, that's not new. I, that advice I would say is has been good advice all along. Uh, when I think of myself and uh, how I got into much of what I'm doing even today, uh, it was it was through a spirit of trying some things and experimentation. In fact. Uh, through college, I uh, I paid for most of my college education by freelancing. I was involved in in uh, film and journalism as a as a college student, and uh, went up and, and approached television stations and and sold them my work as a college kid, and that allowed me to get full time work uh, right after I got out of college and continues to feed what I do today. But it was, it was jumping in and doing some things in my spare time uh, out in the real world that uh, gave me that experience and, and understanding to go forward. Hmm. So you kind of answered my next question in that. You know, what are some key things that young people, young entrepreneurs or business leaders can do to set themselves up for success? Yeah. It's, uh, studying is fine and, and learning the academics is fine, but uh, the most powerful learning, the most powerful foundation, I think, that a young, a young person can build is getting out and actually doing it. And uh, doing it, uh, whether you're paid or not, it, uh, it, it doesn't matter that much, but get out and try some things in the real world that give you real world experience. What should a young person not do? Um, well, I think uh, some of that is just the opposite of what I just said, and that is uh, to get yourself hunkered down and, and believe that uh, stuffing yourself with academic knowledge is going to be uh, the key. Um, that, that even goes to, uh, I, I think today there are a lot of, of uh, young people who spend a lot of years in college and going into to debt in ways that it's frightening to think of, of how they're ever going to recover that in areas that uh, they may wind up with some academic knowledge, but uh, it does not turn out to be uh, a practical footing for them. So again, I, I prioritize uh, the practical experience and uh, getting that however you can in areas that interest you. Boy, that is such, such valuable advice, I think, for all of us to... Uh to be constantly looking for those kind of opportunities to improve ourselves. 
Yeah. And I can, I can tell you as an employer, and, and we've employed thousands of people over the years, that uh, we look first at uh, what the person has done and the experience that they've gained uh, in the real world. We look at that much more than we do about uh, than their academic background. Yes, we look at that and, and consider that, but uh, it's it's much more powerful for us when we take a look at a person who has who has actually done something in the real world, even if it's been on a volunteer basis, even if it's been for uh, weeks or or a couple of months. That's an important indicator to us of uh, what the person can do, rather than than simply a degree. Mm, that's great. So, changing the the thought just slightly as we kind of start to wrap up here, what are some of the books or people or leaders that have most influenced you? Mm. Yeah, there have been uh, a number over the years that uh, have helped us, and I think have, have shaped our uh, our culture here at group as well as uh, the work that we do um, in in the work I'll start with the work that we do we've uh, we've looked in unusual places for uh, our philosophical understandings and underpinnings so we've done uh, a lot of reading and, and studying in the in the field of education to help in our work in Christian education. So we've uh, looked at uh, what some people call accelerated learning. We looked at uh, some of the things that uh, hold us back in learning. There's uh, books uh, like, uh, there's a book called Punished by Rewards by Alfie Cohen. Alfie wrote another one called No Contest, which take a look at uh, the dangers of extrinsic rewards in his book, uh, Punished by Rewards, and the danger of uh, unhealthy competition that he talks about in No Contest. So those have really shaped uh, what we do in terms of content. Then in terms of uh, what we do internally, um, there are books like uh, The Oz Principle that uh, have helped to shape our culture internally here and and helped us all to take a look at taking personal responsibility for what we do and uh, knocking down things that often can crop up in an organization where people will say, well, that's not my job. Uh, That's an unhealthy approach to uh, organizational work. And that book, The Oz Principle, really helps people to claim personal responsibility for not only your work, but your own trajectory, your own success. Hmm. That's great. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. So what's the next big thing for you? Oh, wow. Um, We're involved in uh, some new uh, projects here that are just beginning. And that's, that's part of of, uh, my work here is uh, shepherding those things that are brand new. We're working on a project that uh, is uh, going to be involving uh, really fine artists around the world who are uh, helping us to illustrate the heart of the Bible. And we're looking at uh, producing uh, an illustrated Bible that's actually for adults and teenagers that... uh, is going to be spectacular in how it looks and also spectacular in in how it gets its ideas across. Hmm. Wow. 
That sounds very interesting. And you've also been involved in some some film. I mean, you guys produce this documentary. Are you working on any other, other types of films? Uh, we just uh, released a documentary called Unheard Of that uh, follows a guy in uh, the Philippines who went over there uh, as a part of the Peace Corps and wound up staying for the rest of his life for 30 years, oh, wow. addressing the needs of the deaf uh, it, no one had, had addressed the needs of the deaf in the Philippines, and now he's got schools all over there and has uh, really changed the lives of hundreds of people there who otherwise would have had no hope. Is this this film available publicly yet, or is it? Uh... Uh, it is just now coming out uh, uh, publicly. It's called Unheard Of, uh, One Man's Journey to the Middle of a Miracle. And uh, you can uh, find out more about it at uh, group.com. Okay, very cool. Well, Tom, it's been a pleasure talking to you today. It's been uh, great to have you on the program and to hear a little bit of your story and of your journey. And I really appreciate your time and your insights into uh, the things that we talked about. Well, it's great talking with you. Absolutely. If you'd like to learn more about Tom's work and group publishing, visit group.com. And you can also read Tom's blog at holysoup.com. Thanks so much for listening today. And if you like what you're hearing on this show, be sure to hit the subscribe button and please, please share it with your friends and family. I'd really appreciate it. I'm also eager to hear your feedback. And I really mean that. What you like, what you don't like. So if you could leave a review, I'd appreciate it. Next week on the My Story podcast, we're going to hear from Jennifer Abernethy. Jennifer is a social media expert. In fact, she wrote the book on it two books, actually. They're called The Complete Idiot's Guide to Social Media Marketing. She has a fascinating story that you won't want to miss. Hey, if you like the music on today's show, it's from my friend Drew Davidson. You can get his latest album and hear all his music on iTunes or Spotify or on drewdavidson.com. That's drewdavidson.com. Last, if you have an idea for an interview you'd like to hear, send me a message and I'll see what I can do. Thanks so much for listening. I'll talk to you again next week on the My Story Podcast. Podcast.